Amen. Belly of the best. Uh, have you ever wanted to give up on God? Or maybe have you ever wanted to quit your Christianity? Uh, there is, uh, I think that should be common to us all if you've been in this for any length of time. Uh, we all can get to those places. And there's really uh, a moment that stands in the, in the way of every person who is serious about growing with Jesus Christ. Uh, one author, we talked about it in our staff this week, calls it a wall. It's this place in every serious believer's journey of faith. It's that moment where we get frustrated, uh, we get irritated with life as we know it, uh, and we ultimately come face to face with ourselves through this process. George Barna, he wrote a book called Maximum Faith, and he entitled it Holy Discontent. It's that moment where you've been trying to do everything right, you have tried this Christian thing, you've gone to church, you've prayed, you've read your Bible, uh, you've begun to give, and you've got maybe even in serving your local church. And in this Christian routine, you get to this place where you almost get frustrated and you sense something inside of you says there's got to be more than what meets the eye here. There's got to be more to what I'm reading, to what I'm feeling, to what I'm doing, to what I'm sensing. But so many people at this wall, at this place, uh, they either go back to falling away from God or they go back to their churchianity, if you will. And so, so very few make it beyond this point. And it's those who press through that enter into the belly of the beast. They enter into this deep place, this dark place, where they come face to face with God, face to face with themselves, and they struggle almost with God, like uh, Jacob wrestling with God. And they come through this broken place, this place where God takes them down into the depths. And there in that place of the depths, they discover really the depths of His love, the depths of His mercy, the depths of the cross. And through repentance and crucifixion of the flesh, God renews their heavenly call. They come out on the other side, uh, and they know more about His love, more about His power, more about His grace. And what had felt like a bad situation was really meant for their good. And it ultimately was a turning point in their story. And there, I can tell you for a fact, there's been multiple moments like that in my life where a wall has stood between me and the next level with God. And it was pressing through and going down to that deep place with God and struggling to get a hold of Him and, and release control of myself that God would take me to a, another reality of His Word, another reality of His Spirit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today that sometimes the belly of the beast puts us in the middle of God's best, or sometimes the belly of the beast is in the belly of God's best. And so turn with me to Jonah uh, today, Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. But let me give you the background a little bit on the book of Jonah. Maybe you've heard this story before, uh, and no doubt if you were in Sunday school as a child, you heard it, but we're going to kind of take a fresh look at it today. Uh, so we're, let's set the setting is there's this city called Nineveh, uh, and it goes all the way back to ancient times in Genesis by an evil man, Nimrod, who made it. And at the time of the book of Jonah, in the day of the kings of Israel, when Israel and Judah have split apart, Israel is in two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. There have been a lot of bad kings on both sides, specifically in the north, where we're going to be at today. And uh, at this time, Nineveh has become a flourishing capital of the Assyrian Empire. It has become a flourishing city. It's a large city. 
Uh, it takes three days even just to walk around the city. The walls are huge and the economy is booming. But at the same time, this place has become cruel. It's become immoral. It's become prideful. And ultimately, it's been really cruel to Israel. And in this day, God is also seeing not only the wickedness of the world, but his own people. And he has sent many prophets like Elijah and Elisha to get Israel back on track. But unfortunately, they keep turning from his way and his word. And so on this specific moment, God is going to shame Israel. He's going to show them that the word of God does change lives, that people can repent, that he is a merciful and gracious God. But he's a God of perfect justice and a God of perfect mercy. So he speaks to a young man, a prophet named Jonah. His name means dove. And he says, I want you to proclaim a coming judgment upon the city. You're going to give them 40 days to repent. But Jonah is about to illustrate really where Israel and the people of God's hearts are on that day. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. And it says, But Jonah rose up to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, so he went down to Joppa. So he goes down to Joppa, all right? Why does he go down to Joppa? You're going to see some journey on his faith, uh, journey on Jonah's track here. But Jonah heard God's word. He not only conceals it, but he purposefully flees from it. The Bible says he went down, everybody say down, down to the nearest harbor in Joppa. And he has full intent to go to a city called Tarshish, which some people think is in Spain. And ultimately, he goes 180 degrees the opposite direction. Nineveh is this way. He turns and he goes to this harbor, ready to get on a ship to go to Spain, we think. And so it's this complete turning away from the word of God. Why would a prophet flee God's purpose? Why would he leave the joy and the peace of God's presence? Because this is the reason we'll find out later. Is that Jonah knew that God was a merciful God and he would allow these people to repent and they would turn back. He says, no, I can't even handle the thought of that. So it says that he harbored sin. So he goes to a harbor. He goes to a harbor and he begins to harbor sin. You know, in our life, there are many things that are going to turn us away, that could pull us away from God. You think about the, the Bible says Adam and Eve, they fled from the Lord and they hid from the presence of the Lord. Why would anyone, you and I today, why would we hide things from God? Why would we turn away? I think about all the people that I've seen in my ministry years going through youth group or kids church or youth ministry or even as adults. It's like they know the truth. They've heard the truth. They've experienced the presence of God. Why would we turn and go the opposite direction? It can happen to the best. But this guy was a prophet. He'd heard God's voice. He knew. And here he finds himself on this harbor at the bank of this shore with all the boats and all the seagulls and all these things. And there, no doubt, he is meditating on what he's about to do. And he finds himself at a turning point. And because he's harbored secret sin in his heart, he stands at the harbor of Joppa. You know, it's in our lives when we turn to different things to find success. We turn to different things to find belonging. When God's word begins to disagree with our word, it's in our heart. His will begins to disagree with our will. It says that he gets to this place. He's turned from God. I think about those that as we begin in our Christian life, 
Uh, we get to that point where we're slacking in our church attendance, we're slacking in our faith of prayer, we slack in our uh, witness, maybe there's behaviors in our life that begin to turn away, and we find ourselves at this turning point. And what really is going on in his heart is that there's things that's not quite right. And Jonah's about to find out he can't hide his heart from God. So in Psalms 139, verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, and you understand my thoughts from afar. Nowhere can we run from God's spirit. Adam and Eve couldn't do it. Jonah couldn't do it. And you and I couldn't do it. So he finds himself on a harbor. And look in verse 3. So he goes down to Joppa, and now he goes down into the ship. And the Bible says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, he found a ship which was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, and he went down. Everybody say down. He went down into it, and he goes with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. One author says this, that disobedience always leads you downward. He always leads you downward. So he's on this boat. He's paid the fare, no doubt, uh, it says, and then he goes down into the ship. When you begin to turn away from God, it's going to cost you something. Jonah paid his own way to go. I think if he would have went the way God was going to do it, God would have paid his way. But you know, when you begin to take your life into your own hands, you are going to pay the consequences for that decision. Somebody say amen. That's how it works. If we follow God, it's, it's, he's paid the price for the blessings in your life, for the purpose, the identity, the calling. But as Jonah begins to turn away from God, he pays the price. He has to make his own way. He has to find his own direction. He has to make his own calling. So he says he paid the fare and he went down to the ship. He got lower and lower as he walked away from God. And life apart from God is going to pay, be paid by you. Maybe today you are trying to live your own life apart from God. Maybe you're living by your own efforts. And it's because of these dreams of Tarshish. What was Tarshish? We don't really know. There's not a whole lot about this city. But for Jonah, there was something about this place. Something about that, you know what? There I will be at peace with myself. There I'm going to find the fulfillment that I really want. If I go God's way, I don't like that. There's things I don't want to do. There's things I don't think are right. There's things that I'm not comfortable with. There's things that are disagreeing with this thing. And I think Jonah was just angry and he didn't even know why. I think there was something inside of him that just irritated him. Anybody been one of those weeks? I've had one this week where everything just irritates you to death. It's like, I don't even know why I'm mad right now, but I am. There's just these things that grind us. And somehow in Jonah's walk of God, that there was something that began to grind against him, that God wanted to take him deeper and further and go more into his love than he ever knew possible. But there was something inside of himself that was grinding against. It was like, I just can't go the way that God wants me to go. There's a deeper place and I I don't know how to get there on my own. So you know what? I'm going to take my life back in my own hand. I'm paying my fare. I'm going the 180 degrees the opposite direction because I have dreams of Tarshish. And so he actually goes into the boat and begins to fall asleep. And as he began to sleep, he had peace. It wasn't peace with God. You know, you can have a false peace in this world. You can begin to walk your life your own direction and think, you know what? Everything's working out for me. I left God. I'm not really in church anymore. But guess what? I got that job. Guess what? I feel good about myself. Yes, you know, I can be blind to my own sin. I can be sinning and still say, you know what? I feel good. I feel identity. And I've talked to many a young people who have been to turning away from God. And yet they find, I feel good. I feel peace. I remember talking to a young man one time who was choosing a homosexual lifestyle in his life, and he felt like it was the most best decision he ever made in his life because sometimes sin is blinding. And Jonah began to sleep in the midst of a storm. He began to sleep in the midst of a storm. He found peace from within. He was finding peace from without God's word. But here's the deal. Nobody's going to ever make it to Tarshish. 
It's a place, it's a mirage, it's a lie of the enemy that this place that you could find, there's, it's a lie that you could find fulfillment outside of God. It's a lie that you could get there without God. It's a lie that there's a place of peace and belonging and identity apart from God. Somebody say amen. amen. There's no place that you can get to that God is going to, uh, that you could get on your own and find those dreams of life apart from God. And so he begins to sleep in a storm. And he would neglect the word of God. He would be distant from the word of God. And so God would begin to speak in the midst of a storm. So it says in the Bible, it says that God hurled a wind into the sea. So strong was this wind that the Phoenician sailors and expert seamen, they begin to get afraid. They begin to recognize this is something more than just a normal storm. And they begin to cry out to their gods. But nobody begins to hear. Hit storm. Nobody begins to hear. What's going on? No, no voices echoing from this, uh, from this storm. Nobody's finding any answers. And so Jonah's asleep. They cast some lots. They say, something is wrong. This is more than just a normal storm. We are experts on this. This isn't anything we've ever seen before in this area. And yet Jonah is asleep. You know, you can be asleep when the world is crashing all around you. Your family, your friends can come to you and say, hey, what are you doing? What decisions are you making? Your life is falling apart. And yet we can just say, you know what? I got it. My life is good. I'm okay. You worry about you. I worry about me. Anybody ever dealt with somebody like that before? You saw everything was falling apart, and yet you couldn't see it. Maybe in your life, you've gone through things, and you thought you had it all made. This was the best plan for my life. This is what I want to do. I feel good about it. I'm happy in my alcohol. I'm happy in my drugs. I'm happy in my relationship. I'm happy not going to church. I feel good about myself. I've got my boat, my cars, my shopping. I've got my woman, my man, whatever it is. And all the people who love you are saying, guess what? Your life is a wreck. It's falling apart. And here in the moment, this boat is falling apart. It's tossing to and fro. And yet Jonah was fast asleep. Even these heathens come up to him and say, Hey, dude, what are you doing? How can you sleep in the midst of all of this? And he wakes himself up and they say, We've cast some lots. You are to blame for this, aren't you? And Jonah has to make a moment. This moment, it's a defining moment. And he says, Yes. I am a man who fears God. I, I serve the God of gods, the God, Yahweh. And he's the maker of the sea and of the earth. And it's for this reason. You see, he had gotten to that place where he was asleep in carnal security. He had been indifferent to God and religion. But he had a guilt he had to admit. He goes down into the depths in this moment. It says he feared the Lord God of heaven. And in Jonah 1, verse 15, he begins to volunteer himself. He says, you know what? I am wrong. I made a mistake. I do serve God. I am a Hebrew. And God is right. And I am wrong. And he says he volunteers himself up. If you want to be saved, you're going to have to throw me into the sea. And so they do it reluctantly. And Jonah 1, 15 says, so reluctantly they picked Jonah up. They threw him in the sea. It actually literally hurled him into the sea, just like God had hurled the wind and the waves. They hurled him into the sea, and it says the sea stopped its raging. Now, here's a man who in the middle of a storm had all the answers. Yet, I think about Jonah in the way that I think about those young people that turn away from God, and they're in the midst. They know all the answers. They've been to Bible school. They've been to kids' church. They've been to youth group, and they're gone out there in the world, and they've left God. Maybe this was you at a young age. They've left God, and all around you, People don't have the answers. They're looking for answers. They're finding out why is the world the way that it is. And yet we're there hiding all the answers, holding it to ourselves because there's issues in our own heart that we don't want to deal with. 
And Jonah finds himself, because of the decisions of turning from God and running from God and not being a person who's giving answers to the lost and caring about the lost, he finds himself down in the depths, literally in the place of the dead. In that moment, he's fell into the sea. Now, he didn't have a life jacket. He didn't have the Coast Guard. He didn't have anything there. He's in the wind and the waves, and there he is falling deeper and deeper and deeper. It's just Jonah and the fish. It's Jonah in the darkness of the abyss. Literally, it would say that he has gone to the place of Sheol, the place of the dead. He was as good as dead. Nothing around him, alone, dark. In that place, because of his moral decline, he had gone down to Joppa. He had gone down into the ship, and now he had gone down into the depths. I don't know if you've ever hit rock bottom before, but this was that place for Jonah. And it's because of this that each of us, recognizing this story, each of us has to come face to face with who we are and who God is. Who am I in light of a holy God? Who am I apart from God? And on my own, I remember we we can look at Romans uh, and the Romans road. You can know that in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned and fell apart from his holy standard, that none of us is good. Not one of us is good on our own. And Jonah, in that moment, he finds that, you know what, I have to admit where I'm at in life. Maybe you've been in that dark, lonely place before down in the depths and you have realized this is not what I thought it was going to be like. I thought I'd get to Tarshish. I thought this relationship would work out. I thought that this pleasure would last forever. That high doesn't last forever, sir or ma'am. It dies you down and down and down. I don't care if it's relationships or drug or alcohol or pornography or uh, family issues. It could be a hobby. It could be hunting. It could be shopping. There is only so much of this world that we can take in and we realize, you know what? This is just like junk food. It was good for a moment, but yet it wasn't all it cracked up to be. And Jonah finds himself at that place. You know, the, uh, the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8, that we are to draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, purify your hearts, double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is James saying there? Is that rarely do we ever see the full depths of our sin. That where would you be apart from God? We think, you know, we can make it. I can get a job. I can get a house. I have a wife, some kids, a husband. I can do pretty good in this life. I can live on my own. I can make my own bed. I can do things the way I want to do it, and I'll, I'll, I'll be all right. I'll get my 401k. I'll take some vacation time. I'll be a good person. But you know, apart from God, you are nothing, and I am nothing. And apart from Him, we deserve hell, and we're going to go to the place of the dead, and that's where Jonah found himself. You see, John Piper says this way. He says, the gospel becomes glorious when the depth and power of our sin is understood as grievous. It's when we see a clear glimpse of our sin that we behold a clear glimpse of the cross. And in this moment, Jonah sees the depravity of his sin. He sees where life apart from God has led him, and he's down in the depths. And in this moment, though, as he was running from God, God was running for Jonah. Isn't that a good thing? That when you are going down to the depths, where can you go from his spirit that he is not? He is there. And Jonah, in the middle of the depths of life, he's drowning. In that moment, he says, oh, no, I've made a mistake. God could have said, you know what? That's too bad. You're done. 
your end for me, this is what you deserve. And that's true. But God was so good that as Jonah was fleeing from God, God was pursuing him. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the place of the depths or the dead, behold, you are there. And he cries out to distress, Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. And at that moment, the Bible says that God had appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And that, I don't know what kind of fish it was. We used to say the whale. It could have been a whale. It could have been a shark. I don't know. It could have been something God made just for that moment. But it was a great fish. And the Bible says it happened, so I believe it. If God can feed Elijah with ravens, he can swallow Jonah with a fish. Amen? Jesus said it. I believe it. Jesus quoted Jonah, so it was a true story. Some people like to think it's just a legend. But in that moment, God had an appointment, and he kept it. God knew where to be at the right moment, at the right time. I think that whale or a fish or whatever was following that boat, that ship. And he knew at the right moment when Jonah would get to that place, he, said, he didn't want to pick him up too early. I think he had to let him drown just a little bit. I think he had to get a little bit full of water, and he just got, you know, I'm really, really at the rope. Sometimes as a church, we try to save people before God's ready. I'm just going to throw, that's not, even on the, that's not even the syllabus of the sermon. That it's just that we try to help God out. God wants them to get so empty of themselves. They got no breath of life on their own that only by his salvation will they make it. They got, Jonah got empty of himself. That, that fish comes up, swallows him. I don't know how it happened. Did it keep him at the surface for a while? Did it have air pocket? I don't know. Those are the mysteries of, of this, but God could have kept him alive without air if God wanted to. But in the middle of this place, in the belly of, of the beast, Jonah thought he was fish food. You know, that belly didn't appear much different than the ocean floor. He begins to write a prayer in Jonah chapter 2. He begins to talk about the seaweed around his head. He talks about the depths of the ocean floor, going down to where the mountains meet the bottom of the ocean. He begins to talk about the imprisonment of darkness and the surrounding him in the pit. You know, and I don't even know that he knew he was swallowed by a fish. I don't know. Because in that moment, he doesn't understand what's going on. He didn't know there was an appointment that God was going to have him. Sometimes we don't know how God is going to work out our benefit, that we're called according to his purpose. If we love God, he's got things that are work out for our good. So he thinks he's fish food. It didn't appear much different than where he thought he was, but here he is probably going in and out of consciousness. He begins to think about his life. But little does he know, God's got him. You know, you can't outrun your sin. In this place, he begins to see the depths of his sin. He sees hopelessness apart from God. He recognizes that God is sovereign, that He's just, that He's merciful. And he begins to say, you know what? I thank God that He is always on time because He rescued me from the pit. Maybe that's your story. Maybe today you've been in a place where you can say, I can look back at my life and I can thank God that he saved me out of the pit. He brought me from that miry clay. He, uh, uh, he set my feet upon the rock. And so Jonah, in the middle of the belly of the fish, begins to sing. Isn't that amazing? In the darkest, deepest places, because you know that God is always on time, you can sing. That Jonah begins to write a song. I don't know if he's like scribbling on the inside of the fish. I don't know how it worked out. Making music with fish bones, whatever. Something was happening that Jonah was beginning to sing thanksgiving to God. And he begins to lament his sin, but also see the grace of God. He says, you know what, God? I'm tired of running. I'm turning to you, and I'm turning away from my sin. And in this moment, he sees that this whale, this fish, has been a vessel of salvation. A vessel of salvation. 
You know, repentance is not an easy or comfortable place. And crucifying the flesh is not a fun process. You may not be able to recognize in that moment when I come down to an altar, when I find that prayer closet with God, that this is not feeling good. You know, that's part of the process. That entry level into where God wants you to be. Sometimes God's going to take you to a deeper place. Maybe you've been saved for a while. Maybe it's getting saved for the first time. But repentance and crucifying the flesh, it can feel like a dark place. It can feel like a deep place because what God is doing is sometimes we see better in the pit. When I come face to face with myself, with God, in the deep place of my soul and say, God, I recognize that Heath Harris is prideful. Heath Harris has lust in his heart. Heath Harris has envy. Heath Harris has jealousy. Heath Harris has things that he thinks he can do on his own apart from God. There are things that I feel like I can control, and there's things that I think I need, but I don't. And I come to that dirty, nasty, rotten place that smells. It's got seaweed in it. It's dark. It's not a good place to be. But guess what? That's an appointment from the Lord because he's about to take you somewhere you couldn't get on your own. He, he, he takes you to a place, and, he be, he, and it says in three days, the, the, the uh, fish hurled out or vomited out Jonah on that beach. You see, God has a way of getting you back on track. Jonah, and some, some commentators think that Jonah went out away, but that God brought him back to right at the very beach, the beach that would get him the closest direction to go to Nineveh. God took Jonah to a place where he ought to have been in the very beginning. You know, sometimes in your life, God can speak in the worst storms. Maybe today there's been waves and breakers around you. Jonah said the waves are crashing around me. Things are encompassing me. Maybe today there's things that God has actually sent for you that are meant for your benefit because sometimes the belly of the beast can be the belly of God's best in your life. There are things sometimes God is trying to use in your life to get you to a deeper place where you sense his security, where you see his appointment, where you see his grace, his love, his mercy. And, and sometimes you could just say there, you know what? I hate this, God. You could, Jonah could in that moment, he could have said, you know what? I'm done with you how could you send a fish to me how could you swallow me this way how come i'm suffering how come i'm still alive would you let me die but yet in that moment he said i see something now i did not see before that god has been merciful to me god's spirit is always with me he loves me and now that he's spit me out jonah in that moment i think was born again made alive with christ that he said i see now god loves me and I rebelled, and I could have deserved hell, and you could have left me in that place, and I would have deserved it, but yet God saved me. How many people have a story like that? That God still saves those people. And maybe God is speaking in the storms of life for you today. And maybe you're like Jonah. He says, I long to go back to the presence of God. In the middle of that belly, he says, I want to be back to the presence of God. God had an appointment for Jonah. You know, the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, that at the appointed time, Jesus came, born of a virgin. You see, there was an appointment for you and for me. Just like Jonah, we had all rebelled. We'd all fallen short. We'd all run away from God's presence. We all turned our back on God. But there was an appointment that God kept. And at the right time, God sent his son, born of a virgin, to die on a cross for you and for me. That he would be in the grave three days and three nights. And on the third day, he would rise again and he would come up. And it says in Colossians that if you would be buried with him into baptism, you'd be raised with him into new life. And if you and I can join Jesus Christ, then in the depths of the soul, and we can find, yes, apart from God, I am nothing. But if I can be raised to life with him, I can be everything he wants me to be. 
You see, you and I have to be buried with Christ. This gospel message does not come without repentance, without crucifixion, without confession, without accountability to God. It says, yes, I know my life apart from God is nothing. I can't be a Christian without the Spirit of God. I can't be a Christian without coming to grips that I alone am not good, but I in Him am everything He wants me to be. See, He he had to get to that place. And today, I want to be buried with Christ. I want to be with Him in that tomb. I want to go down three days with Him and get acquainted with Him. I want to find the presence of God in a deep, dark place so I can be raised with Him again. The belly of God's best is where I want to be. So Jonah had new life, and now he had to learn how to walk in it. I'm going to talk to you about whale tales for a moment. So maybe today... Maybe today, just you and God, maybe you've been through that moment, and I'm encouraging you to maybe today you are running from God. Maybe today there is someone in this room that needs to get right with God, and God wants to take you down to the pit. He wants to take you to a a place that's not going to feel good, but yet it's going to be the best thing you've ever done in your life. Maybe you've been saved years ago, and it's a new season that God wants to walk with you in. Jonah was walking with God for years, and God had to take him through this moment. There is moments that God has to take us to our prayer closets and get us to get rid of some things in our heart that are bad for us. And he wants to take us to that place. And maybe that's you today. And maybe some of us, we've come out of that moment and we've got to learn how to walk in it. And Jonah had to learn now, how, to, how do I walk in this thing that God just did for me? Here I am on the bank, spit out. I don't know if he's bleached white because all the acid of the fish, he's got seaweed on his head, you know, his hair is a mess. Uh, he's got fish stuck all over him. I don't know. He gets spit up on this beach. He begins to praise the Lord. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go back. I want you to do what I've called you to do. And he says, go back and tell you, I'm going to tell you what to say. So he goes, and Jonah heads for Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh, and it says that it would take three days to go around the whole city and proclaim what I want to proclaim. It would be that God is going to bring judgment in 40 days, and he began to proclaim the word of God. But in day one, immediately, people began to repent, and revival began to break out in this heathen pagan city. And it reaches to the king, and they begin to put on sackcloth and ash and call a holy fast and assembly. And so Jonah sees God do something miraculous. Miraculous. You see, the fish had saved Jonah. Now Jonah became the fish to Nineveh. See, God had an appointment with that fish to save Jonah. And God had an appointment with Jonah to save the city. You understand how that works? God's cool in that, how he writes these things. Nineveh needed someone to save him. Nineveh needed a fish. Jonah was that fish. You see, in this story... I've been thinking, like, God, why a fish? Why in the world do you have to, you know, number one, God can do anything he wants to do. He wants to feed people with ravens. If he wants to make water into wine, if he wants the people to walk on water, if he wants to, you know, water out of a rock, he can do whatever he wants to do. So that's just God. He can make a fish, swallow a guide, spit him out. But I begin to look, and some commentators think this. In that city of Nineveh, if you go all the way back to the ancient, ancient, ancient records, There is a symbol for this town, for this city. Now, Nineveh was a whole region, but this city specifically. On this tablet, it says the word Nineveh in their language, and the symbol of that town is a house of fish. And some think that in that town, there was a fish god that some people in that town worshipped. So when Jonah shows up, no doubt somebody saw him spit up out of that fish. Somebody, a little boy, said... 
he's throwing his rod and reel out there, and maybe he catches something, he pulls it and reels it in, and he says, oh my gosh, there's a dude coming. And that Jonah walks out of this, and he's, there's no doubt he tells his mom, and they tell their cousin Anson, you know how small towns are, it begins to spread like wildfire, there's a dude, he just got spit up by a fish, and they see that dude walking into Nineveh, no doubt, that would have made headlines in ancient times, right? They make headlines today, by the way. Uh, and so he begins, maybe he's even telling his story as he's preaching, we don't know. But perhaps God was speaking to them and saying, my God controls the fish. You think your God controls the fish, but my God is the God. He is the all-supreme God. He is the only God. And let me tell you that you have a fish story. You have a story that God has ordained in your life, your testimony. You have a whale tale. You have a fishy story that God is going to say, hey, Miss Georgia, Brent, Miss Evelyn, I've done things in your life that that appointment is also meant to somebody else. That that story is meant to tell of my goodness, of my mercy. And so you and I are an appointed sign. You see, God loves to use imperfect people. Jonah became an example of God's grace and His mercy. And what's your story of how God has saved you? You see, Jesus Christ became also the greatest sign of all. We may not have got swallowed up by a whale, but if you've been swallowed up by Jesus, if He's taking you down to the depths, if He's birthed you into new life, you have a story that is meant to tell. You have, you want, you, some of you guys like to tell fish stories, and they get sm- so small to so big, right? This is a story, it's the biggest story of all in your life. Better than any hunting story, or shopping story, or fish story, that is that I have been saved by God Almighty. He has taken me to the depths of my soul. I was going to die apart from him, but yet he loved me enough to send his son. He gave me new life now by the Holy Spirit. And you have a unique way that God has saved you. You have a unique story in your life that God has used to save you. And how is God wanting to use that story to save somebody else that just might be their appointment. Maybe this week, God is going to put somebody in your path, and your perfect story is exactly what they need to hear. Who's the Nineveh that we're called to today? Your story matters. But nevertheless, like many Christians, Jonah could turn his witnessing on and off. This is the, I wish Jonah would just end right there. It would be a wonderful story. But the mere fact that God continues his story on uh, really tells me how human he was and how much like me he is. Jonah goes and he preaches. He doesn't even get one day in, and the dude quits. He quits. He said three days to go through the whole city. He sees one day, oh, they got it. He goes out. He goes outside of the city. He sits there, and no doubt for 40 days he wants to see if this thing is going to burn. Because he begins to complain to God. They repent. The king hears about it. He didn't even tell the king. He didn't stay along to disciple them. He didn't teach Sunday school class. He didn't start a worship service. He didn't tell them anything about the Bible or God. They just begin to repent, and he backs off. He says, I can't believe it. This is what I thought was going to happen. I can't believe God would save a people like this because you don't know what they did to me. They raped, and they pillaged, and they murdered, and they are attacking us, and they don't deserve it. They are wicked, evil people. God, they put people up on poles. They hang them on the city gates. How can you save a pagan people like this? They're beyond saving God. Don't you know they're just going to turn around and they're going to turn back on you and all this kind of stuff. And it says that the mercy of God displeased him. He was angry. So he goes out, he begins to watch and see if the city is going to burn. And God says to Jonah, he says, do you have a reason to be angry? 
okay, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He goes, and he makes his little hut. I'm going to sit here, I'm going to watch, I'm going to get my marshmallows. I'm waiting for the fire. And he's sitting there watching and waiting for 40 days. It's just stewing inside of him. I can't believe this is what I had to do. All that mercy and grace he had just went out the window, right? All that story of the whale and God's mercy, he didn't, it didn't translate. And then God causes this stalk to grow right over his hut. A little extra shade because the wind and the heat is bad. It grows over his hut, shades him. He says, oh, man, that's wonderful. Thank you. Blah, blah, blah. The next day, God says that he appointed a worm. Just like he appointed a whale, just like he had appointed uh, Jonah, he appointed that thing to grow, and then he appointed that thing to be eaten. And the next day, he comes out. That thing is dead. The scorching heat is on his head. is dripping in sweat. And he says, oh, if I would just die. If I could just die, it would be better to die than to watch these people get saved. And God, I can't believe this. And he says, do you have a reason to be angry about that plant? He says, yes, I have a reason even to death to be angry about that plant. Man, he is just, it's just coming out of him, right? He's just spewing out of him. All that old man he'd failed to crucify. See, Jonah hadn't got completely sanctified yet. He hadn't got all that worked out. Even though he was saved, sometimes, Christian, we got a lot of work still left to do. Somebody say amen. He was saved. He had a story. He had a testimony. But he hadn't worked himself out with fear and trembling. He hadn't let God go down to the depths continually every day in his life. And so he begins to complain and say, yes, even if I die. He says, but Jonah, you didn't water that plant. You didn't cause that plant to grow, and yet you care about that plant. Shouldn't I at least care about a great city like Nineveh where there is at least 120,000 people that are ignorant of right and wrong? And it ends. You see, Jonah was illustrating that day that God had created a kingdom of priests, a holy nation called Israel, to be a light into the darkness, to be a city on a hill, to be a place of prayer for the nations, where the nations would come in and see the mercy of God. They were supposed to be a witness in a dark and dying world. And somewhere along the way, it did not translate through them and into the world. And so many times, that's where we have gotten in the American church today. And I am guilty of it, and no doubt we are too. That we can get saved, we can get filled with the Holy Spirit, we can say, thank you God for my story, and it ends right there. You see, Jonah had uh, gotten to that place in his life where he had not fully obeyed the will of God. He had not let it translate into his life. And the question is this, to Jonah... What if the fish had neglected his appointment? You'd be dead, Jonah. And church, what if Jesus had neglected his appointment with you? So how can I not meet the appointments God has for me today? God could have let me die. God could have let me go my own way. He could have had me follow my dreams of Tarshish and try to make it on my own, pay my own fare, try to find peace and fulfillment and life apart from God. And we would end up in the place of the dead, in the depths of hell. But yet God kept his appointment. And he's asking you and me, church, are you sitting back with your marshmallows waiting for the world to burn? Are we just comfortable, more care, care more about our comfort of the pitiful things in this life? I care more about my house and my cars and my ambitions and my dreams and my retirement and all my plans, but yet I can be okay while the world is facing judgment. 
And I can sit back and have no investment in my community. I can sit back and have no investment in my church. And I can say, thank you, Jesus, for my whale story. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. And a father up in heaven is saying, but how can you care about all those little things I've given you, the shade I've given you, the comfort I've given you, and you can't care about thousands of lost souls headed to hell? Have we really been changed by the grace of God? And does my story translate into making me a man or woman of God who has his heart that says, yes, Jesus, you kept your appointment with me. I'm going to make every appointment you have for me to go. Lord, you gave me that story, that testimony for a reason, not just for me, but that you would send me out. And the Bible says that he told his disciples before he left, the most important thing is go, tell the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and then the end will come. That we have a job to do. And are we willing vessels? Have we been changed by the grace of God? See, there are two people that God wants to speak to today in a story. That's number one, some of us that have been running and turning from God. The waves and billows are crashing over us. The darkness is surrounding us. God has an appointment for you. He wants to envelop you. He wants to take you to that place where you want to return to His Spirit. And when you say, yes, God, I want to return... He is there to take you to a place you couldn't get on your own. And some of us have gone through that process. Maybe we need to go through that process again. But then we've got to say, God, how can I walk this out? How do I let my story translate? How has God's grace truly sanctified me, purging me day in and day out, that there are no unforgiveness in my heart for someone that I wouldn't talk to? That there is no racial prejudice or unforgiveness or discrimination. Well, they deserve it. They should just work more. Oh, you know how those types of people are. They're always going to be that way. You know that family member, blah, blah, blah. There are people that we just shrug off and say, God, I can't go to them. I could never talk to them. Lord, I can't do that. Lord, I can't get involved. But my comfort, God, I, I have all this stuff going on in my life. I'm building my hut, God. Don't you know the shade tree? I got to water it. I got I to gotta keep it going. Lord, I need to just be over here. And yet we're so concerned about all the things in our own life, our, building our little huts that are going to burn, our, our stalks, that God is the one that's given us the stalk of shade. He's the one that's given you pleasure and comfort where he's called you to be. But that's not the main mission he has you and I on. We are here to tell the story that is the greatest story ever told that changes lives. And there are hungry and lost people that are getting passed over every day by the church. Think, well, they don't want to listen. They don't want to hear. I can't relate to them. I don't have any way to relate. God's given you a story. Lord, help us to be a people who have been impacted to the degree that we love the lost. And I'm going to ask Ms. T to come and the worship team. Romans 10, 9. If you would openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. 
as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Maybe that's you today in the first part. But there's also this, that Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. There is one Lord, the same Lord, who gives generously to all who will call on him. For everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to be saved unless they believe? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? Every head bowed, every eye closed in this place. What is God speaking to you today? How will you respond to his word?